Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosophy, the one true podcast. Today I have a hovenologist, expert hovenologist Matt Wakefield on. Hello, Chuck Morrison. Thanks for having me on. Matt, your experience with hovenology will probably come in handy with this podcast. I think so. I'm uh, I'm two credits shy of a degree in uh, Hastingsology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this podcast is on Kirk Hastings. Magnum Opus, What is Truth? A Handbook for Separating Fact from Fiction in a Propaganda-Filled World. Now, I was going to, you know, we, we tried to do a podcast on this earlier, but I think my computer got fried and we lost it, so I was just going to give it up. But uh, out of the blue, after like five months of nothing, Hastings writes me a, an email saying, Hey, my book's selling like hotcakes. Thanks for the publicity. <laughs> Like hotcakes. And what was the uh, dig? He, he threw a little dig in there at you. Well, the dig was, the that, by the way, where was where's your book? <laughs> uh, are you having trouble finding a publisher? Which I thought was humorous because if you look in the back of the book, it says publishamerica.com, which is a vanity publishing press for people who can't find publishers. But, you know, Kirk Hastings not one for... Um, consistency, as as is evidenced by his magnum opus, What is Truth? Ah, as in Pilate said to him, capital H. <laughs> yeah, we, we find <laughs> a source for that in his, uh, there's a little quote, Pilate said to him, What is Truth? John 18, 38, New Testament. <laughs> Pilate should have said that Kirk Hastings. That's <laughs> the answer. Pilate's uh, interrogating Jesus, I guess, before he crucifies him. Jesus says something like, you know, uh, everyone that hears me hears the truth, or blah, blah, blah. Pilate says, what is truth? So um, that question was so important in the New Testament that Jesus refused to answer. Pretty much said, fuck you, Pilate. Nice. Fuck That's what I always say to like philosophy majors when they ask me things. You just tell them, What is love, you. anyway? Fuck you, philosophers. Fuck you. They're actually, th this cover is pretty irritating. It's a big yellow book, and it's got... One, two, three, four, five, six questions. Are you ready? I'm going to ask you these six questions. Okay. Right on the cover of the book. Can we know if God really exists? No. Is the Bible historically accurate? Um, no. Is Christianity intellectually credible? Not even a little bit. Is Jesus really God? Nah, maybe. Do science and the Bible conflict? In context. <laughs> yes. Does our mass media tell us the truth about Christianity in the Bible? <laughs> because it's the job of our mass media to tell us the truth about Christianity in the Bible. That 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 is the primary function of our mass media. Oh well, we answered all those questions. So can we skip the book? Yeah, let's. Uh, you know, I want to spend a little bit of time on his introduction, uh, which is subtitled "How I Began My Own Search for Truth." Uh, it goes on about how he was brought up. His dad didn't really like religion. His mom was religious, but his dad uh, had the final say because it was the 1950s. So they weren't brought up religious. Uh, his mom was diagnosed with cancer shortly after they separated. And he said, in utter desperation, I, I cried out to God, whoever or whatever he might be, I had no idea, to save my mother's life. I pleaded with him and I bargained with him. But it didn't help, he says. Not only did my mother die anyway, but she ended up passing away that very same month even more quickly than had, than the doctors had projected. So that's God, like God hates Kirk Hastings. <laughs> that's a reverse efficacy of prayer. It's like he hastened his mother's death. Whoops. Um, emotionally, I was devastated, but not because God hadn't stepped in to save my mother's life. It was only because of the sudden loss of the only person I had ever really trusted or depended on. Since my little experiment with prayer had failed, I simply assumed that God must not exist. It was as simple as that. So, 
he he sounds a little disappointed that even you know his mother's funeral was held in a funeral home, but even then I didn't get the opportunity to see the inside of a church building. Exclamation point! <laughs> this was a huge yeah. disappointment to uh, young Kirk Hastings. And then something happens that that changes uh, young Kirk Hastings' life. One summer day, a few years later, just before I turned twenty-four, I met a friendly young waitress in a local eatery. <laughs> <laughs> A local eatery. I, I like the beginning of the story so far. <laughs> <laughs> After serving my lunch, proceeded to ask me some very strange questions. Have you ever read the Bible? What do you think of Jesus Christ? Oh, uh, man. They're, my porno fantasy just took a 180. So. <laughs> <laughs> he said he was really taken aback by that one, about the question of Jesus Christ. He said he didn't really know much about him, you know. So uh, she asked if you want to know more, and he says, I don't know, I guess so. So she invites him to a meeting, and he goes, and he's um, just shocked. Once at the church, I was introduced to a room full of laughing, chatting, normal-looking young people my own age. I was somewhat surprised to find they weren't all wearing black and didn't all have frowns on their faces. I don't know if he's confused Christianity with, you know, the Shakers or the Amish, I suppose. (laughs) Normal-looking is the key phrase there. (laughs) Normal-looking young people. Though they all had Bibles with them, fortunately, none of them tried to hit me over the head with it. <laughs> Exclamation point. So, uh, there, there was a young man. This is like a, a group, um, according to his footnotes, from the Campus Crusade for Christ uh, that, that worked to trap and ensnare impressionable young people about Christianity. They're little vampires. They're Christian vampires. So the, the guy who led the meeting asked him if he had any questions about the Bible or God or Jesus said, yes, actually, uh, I have. And so the guy asked him to his house for lunch, right? And so now he says he took the bait. He arrived at that guy's house with, I'm going to quote, with my skepticism revved up and in full gear. Oh, my God. He was ready. He probably had, like, lots of sources for things he was going to ask so he could, you know, back up any claims he might have. That's what I'm assuming. Can you imagine facing down the skepticism of Kirk Hastings? Oh Not my with this in full gear. Holy shit. <laughs> it must have, must have been brutal. So his questions are, how do we know if God really exists or not? Even if he does, how can we know what he's like? Or whether he cares for anybody or not? There are lots of different religions in the world. How can we ever know which one is true? Or if any of them are true? They can't all be right. Now, my, you might be impressed by these questions. But he says, I was just getting warmed up. This is just the beginning. <laughs> He's got more. He, he didn't wait for answers for that, by the way. He just kept going. <laughs> <laughs> what about science? Scientists says that, that everything evolved from basic chemicals billions of years ago and that there is no proof that God had anything to do with it. How do we know that Jesus was who he said he was? How do we know that the Bible is accurate? Why are there so many different religions in the world? What about all the different church denominations? What about the natives in Africa? How can a just God condemn them all to hell simply because they have never seen a Bible or heard of Jesus Christ? I went on and on. So he is just pummeling this guy with unanswerable questions. And he says, The amazing thing was, after each question, the young man thought for a moment and then gave me a very reasonable response that made a lot of sense. Never once did he hand me any of that, You just have to believe, Jazz. <laughs> 
I hate it when people fucking hand me jazz. I can't stand it when I'm handed jazz. When I, I ask questions and then just fucking play like this jazz song back at it. Just <laughs> see, every time out. I see that, I just think of jazz hands. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in theater, you know what I'm talking about. He really answered my questions. Now, uh, he says, after five hours of this, I literally ran out of questions. Uh, literally, he ran out of questions. I don't know how literally. you literally run out of questions, but five hours of questions. The guy answered them all, apparently. Uh, oh, wait, I got to point out one thing. Like, half of these questions, or most of them, he doesn't really answer those in this book. Right, right. You get all the way to the end. You think that he's prepping you up for, because he's going to answer, because he doesn't provide any answers here at all in the introduction. So you think maybe this book will answer everything, but uh, no. Nope. No. I, I read the end of the book, and I still don't know about the natives in Africa. Well, they're going to hell, and the answer is because God's an asshole. We all, we all know that. Now he says, established. he ran out of questions, so I became a Christian shortly after that. I didn't want to. I was still very uncomfortable with the idea of becoming a religious person, but I had boxed myself into an intellectual corner. Now, Kirk Hastings, <laughs> Kirk Hastings' intellect beating the shit out of him. I would never admit that in a million years. I went up against Kirk Hastings' intellect, and I got fucking the shit kicked out of me. That must right. be humiliating. He, he, he was so ashamed. Oh, God. So ashamed he became a, a Christian. Uh, so um, to continue to deny it would deny my own thinking processes and become a total hypocrite. That afternoon at the rooming house ended up changing my life. For the first time, I understood what truth really is and how it can be found. So the story of his conversion, basically is that he goes, uh, meets a waitress, she brings him to a Campus Crusade for Christ meeting, he meets the dude, he answers a bunch of questions, becomes a Christian. That's pretty fair, based on his introduction? That's pretty much it. I mean, uh, he went down fast. Yeah, flip to the back of the book, the back cover. This is his little blurb about himself. Kirk Hastings is a former skeptic of religion who grew up with no religious training, but in his mid-twenties decided to conduct a personal, unbiased study of the world's religions to see if any of them had any basis in solid objective evidence. After over 30 years of studying the subject, he Damn. came to the conclusion that Christianity, based on the Bible, is the only religious belief system grounded in reason, unbiased scientific evidence, and verifiable history. What the fuck? He contradicts the back of his book in his introduction. In a book entitled, What is Truth? I nearly raised the white flag there, Matt Wakefield. Did you? Did you, Chuck? I, I nearly <laughs> surrendered. I almost was unable to go on after the blatant lie that I, in, that I came across in the introduction. Which See, is it, Kirk Hastings? After a 30-year search for truth? Or you accepted the truth of Christianity that afternoon? <laughs> I have this odd feeling that if he grew up in India, he would be Hindu, possibly. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he would have boxed himself into a Hindu intellectual corner. <laughs> That's a scary corner to be in, because their gods have, like, horns and elephant trunks and stuff. <laughs> oh, my God, Kirk Hastings versus his intellect. I cannot imagine a more epic battle than that. <laughs> I All should have right. had it in this corner bit prepared. <laughs> in this corner, weighing in at 174 pounds of flab and hamburgers, Kirk Hastings. Pasty in the corner, flab. his intellect. 6.4 pounds of gray. <laughs> Fuck, what's the gray made of? Matter? <laughs> gray and white matter? <laughs> oh my god. Of course, Kirk Hastings, as we learn later in the book, doesn't believe that the brain 
is the seat of the mind. The mind is some sort of wooish thing that floats around and controls the brain. Oh. So, uh, all right. I'm. I'm. <laughs> before we before we leave his introduction, I gotta say, just my, one of my first outrageous statements of this book is uh, is almost the last paragraph of that um, introductory chapter, which is uh, that day I learned to think for myself, and I found that there was enough. More than enough solid objective evidence to support belief in God, the Bible as accurate history, and in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of all mankind, no matter what some people thought. Yeah, I just love that. People. No yeah. matter what. Fuck you, people. He sat down with, what, some fucking Bible study group? And the, you know, somewhat charismatic leader of that group, I guess? And he's, and, he, and he's in. But, like... Did he bother, like, checking with anybody else? You know, like, like some of those science. What about science? Ask a ba scientist. Based on the contents of the book, I can give you a definitive answer. Clearly not. Clearly not. His 30-year study is woefully inadequate. Okay. And to demonstrate such, let's proceed. Yes. He, um, you know, throughout this, throughout this um, book, uh, he, it's evidence... Uh, very clearly that, that he is using secondary sources. He doesn't quite understand the stuff himself, and so he'll quote people, and they'll make mistakes, and he won't catch them, such as in part one. <laughs> yes. Part one is three ways to help discern what is real and what is not, and so he gives the three ways are evidence, logic, and probability. Now, his discussion on probability, uh, I'm just going to quote this for you. Um, he, he's saying that I'm going to give you... <laughs> I'm going to give you an example of something really improbable, all right? So he says, thus, under normal gravitational conditions, if someone holding a hammer in their hand were to let go of it, we can estimate statistically that the probability of the hammer hitting the ground would be pretty high. Conversely, the odds of the hammer not hitting the ground after being dropped would be incredibly small. Expressing these odds statistically would be to say that the hammer has less than a 10 to the 50th, and that's a 1 followed by 50 zeros, man probability of not hitting the ground. Most scientists will agree that anything with a probability of less than 10 to the 50th is, for all intents and purposes, impossible. Now, I'm, not sure, who, I'm not sure who he's quoting here, but it, it's, very, it's, it's clear to me that he has never taken a statistics course in his goddamn life. You don't express probabilities in terms of whole integers, right? Your probability is either a percentage or some, something less than one. So if you're going to express the probability of 10 to the 50th, I'm sure he means 1 in 10 to the 50th, right? That, that makes more sense. That's a mistake that no one who has ever taken a class in statistics would ever make. Ever. You don't say it has a probability of 300. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> this has a probability of 10 to the 50th of happening. That doesn't fucking make any sense. 1 in 10 to the 50th. That is a probability. That is a, a percentage that is less than 1. If you hit one, your probability is 100%, Kirk. Oh, God. Anyway, so... Wait, i got to say, in my studies of hastinology, <laughs> I learned that uh, God has a 50-50 chance of existing, oh, right? <laughs> he true. either does or he doesn't. That's 50 -50. correct. There's no other Bayesian information that would uh, alter that probability. Oh, and God. For Kirk Hastings, that's a, chance, that's a probability of two, I think. <laughs> <laughs> It's a probability of 50. <laughs> 50. I think every statistician would agree that if you have a probability of 50, half of the time it will happen. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So that, that's a little evidence that um, 
Yeah, like I said, he's either quoting someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, or he doesn't know what they're talking about, doesn't know what he, he's talking about himself. All right, shall we move on to part two, the two theories of the origin of life? <laughs> okay, so the quote from George Wald is, when it comes to the origin of life, there are only two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. That's oh, it. God. <laughs> God, that aggravates me. Uh, I, I dare you to come up with a third way. <laughs> Spontaneous generation is not abiogenesis. They love to conflate this stuff, but it's not. It's not origin of life stuff. The spontaneous generation is the idea that, you know, in the uh, 1800s, that, that um, bacteria just spontaneously generated, right? The stuff that you couldn't see. So you'd leave meat out on the counter, and spontaneously, you'd have all this mold and stuff, right? And so Louis Pasteur devised this ingenious experiment that prevented bacteria from going into this little tube and it turned out that you know you don't have any bacteria in there so spontaneous generation was proved to be false but that doesn't have anything to do with abiogenesis nothing zero not a zip you've got multiple other options than uh, spontaneous generation shit just popping out of nowhere and creation which by yeah, creation by the way they mean creation by their god not hindu creation or Zoroastrian creation, or exactly. Muslim creation. You know, it's the Judeo-Christian creation. That's what they're talking about. Right. No, no and not cosmic certainly not, or, um, certainly not anything from Greek mythology, which I just wanted to point out is one of his examples in the beginning where he says that originally there was a mass of nothingness called chaos from which sprung light, dark, the earth, and eventually a race of giants called the Titans. And then in parentheses, don't ask exactly how this was accomplished. Uh, <laughs> There's, where's, where is that in, in the beginning of Genesis? In the beginning, there was light, and this and this, and this happened. Don't ask, Don't ask how, how that happened. Yeah, totally. That's John Loftus's outsider test for faith. See how good they are at poking holes in other religions, but when it comes to their own, they're just absolutely fucking incompetent. They cannot take that and apply it to their own. You've got to look at your own religion like you're an outsider. You've got to take that shit and put it right in your own religion. They never do. That's what I'm saying. He'd be a Muslim if he was born in Indonesia. <laughs> and, yeah, just as strident as he is about Christianity. Right. Um, one of my favorite parts about this chapter is uh, these kinds of vague mythological accounts of the origin of the universe remained popular among ancient people for many years. Those <laughs> stupid <individual> fucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, sorry, that's the subtext I got in there. Those ignorant dumbasses. <laughs> But then an individual named Moses came along about 1375 B.C. with a totally new concept, monotheistic religion. Now, there was a single, written, historically-based account that described exactly how the Earth and everything else had been created, and by whom. And, Matt, the, the information had been gotten straight from the horse's mouth. <laughs> After all, no one ever claimed to have personally interviewed Ra, Zeus, or Jupiter. <laughs> Hey, psst, Kirk. Zeus is Jupiter, you dumb ass. <laughs> and do you know how many people Zeus fought? He was fucking morals all the time. Right, right. He was always, like, going into the shape of a goose to seduce women for some reason. Right. It worked. I'm, I'm sure there was pillow talk about Zeus and Jupiter right. all the time. But I'm sure, though, if someone had claimed to personally interview Ra, by the way, um... Uh, the Pharaoh, I think, was supposed to be like Ra on Earth or Horus on Earth. So anyone who talked to the Pharaoh could have gotten information directly from the horse's mouth. Um, but, you know, if, if anyone had, had claimed to have personally interviewed Ra or Zeus or Jupiter, I'm sure, I'm certain that Kirk Hastings would uh, accept that. Un 
hesitatingly, unquestioningly. Oh, okay, good. Never mind. Straight from the horses. <laughs> straight from Jupiter's mouth. Ah, we got it now. You know, he also says Moses' writings gave much more satisfactory answers to the major questions of life than mythology had. Two problems there. Satisfactory? Where, like, his questions are, where did the world come from? You know, what's the meaning of human life? How are they more satisfactory? I don't... That's, that's kind of subjective. <laughs> And it's, it's kind a, of, it, it's a dig at other, at, you know, he everything else is mythology. This reminds me of, um, yeah. uh, what's that uh, lady's, lady you interviewed? She had her book um, um, about religion, and Christianity is true because it's outlasted the other mythologies. Oh, Remember right. her? Yeah, Becky. That Yeah, one of your earlier Garrison. podcasts. Becky Garrison. Yeah. Right. Like, no one believed in Greek mythology. They, they knew it was mythology, you know, it's like... Yeah, it drives me up the wall. That's a circular argument, obviously, because you're Christian, for fuck's sake. Of course you find it more satisfactory, you dumbass. What's an analogy to this? You know, you're you're a fan of a sports team, and you like the sports team's merchandise better? I have no idea. Oh, my God. People who like Star Wars, right? Well, the mythology of Star Wars is much more satisfactory to me than the mythology of Star Trek. Uh, right. Therefore, it's true. Satisfied, just because you're satisfied by an answer, it doesn't have any bearing on its truthfulness. And the fact that you're already a Christian obviously tells you that you've found those answers more satisfactory. Jesus H. Christ. I, I would like to entirely skip part three and part four. <laughs> part three, did the universe always exist? You know, he's arguing as if no one accepts the big, like only Christians accept the Big Bang. Like, Jesus Christ. Part four, two kinds Wait. of evolution. Oh, the, only, the only thing in part three I wanted to add, <clears throat> one of the main cogs in the wheel of Darwinian biological evolution is it needs time to work. Lots of it. Preferably millions and billions of years of it. Preferably. Um, therefore, he's making a uh, conclusion here, Chuck. Listen up. In order for Darwinism to be a viable scientific theory, the universe has to have existed pretty much forever. He forever. just went from preferably you just need millions of billions of years to forever. Absolutely forever. forever. And uh, the second part, which you don't need to go over, is, you know, because it's about entropy, where he's bringing up the, the law of entropy, you know, the yes. second law of thermodynamics argument, which is, as he states, an incontrovertible fact of science. It really pisses me off when people quote science to disprove science. Yeah. I don't understand why you accept the second law of, of thermodynamics, and yet you don't accept evolution. Like, why, why do you like the second law of thermodynamics? Because you can twist it into some weird argument? It's, it's a law. It's a, law a of oh, that's theory. Right. Damn it! Caught me again! <laughs> this thesis defense is going to be murder, I tell you. <laughs> I want to move a little bit into the later in the chapter, I guess, when he talks about Einstein and special and general relativity and, and that all but proved that the material universe had to have a definite beginning, the sig quotes. It, clearly, he doesn't understand either special or general relativity. Einstein did not theorize that the universe was expanding or contracting. He knew that gravity was universally um, attractive and that it was a problem for a static universe, but they had all thought that the universe was static. It wasn't expanding or contracting, so we added in what later he called my greatest blunder, which is um, the... Uh, Cosmological this, constant. Right, the, this constant to to cancel out the attraction of gravity. 
But, Kirk, he says, basically, Einstein's computation showed that the universe is steadily expanding. Wrong. It was either either expanding or contracting would have fit his equations. doesn't matter. It, it doesn't prove that it was expanding. Hubble showed that it was expanding with the red shifts. Uh, right. Then, Einstein thought, oh, oh, God, I, I, you know, I didn't have to put in that constant there to cancel out. It you know, never occurred to me that the universe could possibly be expanding or contracting. So, again, very surface knowledge of this, clear that he's read, uh, read some other book on it and just taken their word for it. Like, you know, oh, okay, these guys are totally reliable, I'll just put that in there. And it turns out they're totally fucking wrong. Again and again and again, throughout this book. Uh, I'm beginning to think that Kirk Hastings is um, more mentally challenged than even I had previously imagined. And I've debated him. That's pretty challenged. <laughs> Sorry. All right, part four, the two kinds of evolution, micro and macro evolution. Do we even need to talk about this at all? The it's only thing we need to point out, yeah, it's a page and a half, is, is that. And, and just a couple things, which is, uh, you know, he calls it, you know, micro evolution is the idea that everything blah, 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 evolved by random and directed chance. And an example would be a dinosaur evolving into a mammoth. This is just, just, just so he doesn't understand evolution at all. If that's what you think it is, you don't get it. I mean, do something. Find out what you're arguing against, at least. They like to appear reasonable, right? They appear to be making a concession and say, look, we accept microevolution. We're reasonable, but macroevolution, oh my god! And we draw the line right there. That's impossible. <laughs> that can never happen. But It has, it has order, not been proven. In order you. to draw that line, they need to postulate some sort of mechanism that will prevent small mutations from piling up and, and making big changes over time. Um, and, and so far, they'll, I've heard like the, um, Michael Behe's written a book about the limits of evolution, and he says, you know, all these simultaneous mutations are impossible, blah, blah, blah. That was not well received in either the scientific or the religious community. And it showed that some of those things that he said are absolutely not possible uh, are not only possible, but they're probable over time and given the right selective pressures. That's all it takes. You know, to these guys, they don't understand, statistically speaking, you don't have to have all these um, mutations at once. <laughs> you can have one and then one a million years later. Or if, if the environment is, is really driving you toward extinction, you crank up your mutation rate, and you either die, which your species is going to die if they don't adapt anyway, or they'll hit upon something that works. And that that's where punctuated equilibrium comes along, uh, which well, he doesn't understand either later on in the other chapters. Well, why not? Why don't they just make the argument against time? Because we all agree that you need time. He even says it earlier, you know, that I quoted before. We need millions and billions of years for it. Just show that the Earth is 6,000 years old, and you don't have to refute all this stupid-ass crap that you do, the fossil record of that. Well, they're split between that, too. Not all creationists. And if you listen to these guys on Evidence for Faith, they're very shy about talking about how old the Earth is. <laughs> oh, they don't take it. Oh, so they could be old Earth creationists so for all it, we know. It's possible that they're old Earth creationists. He doesn't go a whole lot into radiometric dating or anything like that. So he may not be too confident that the Earth is young. But, you know, they argue amongst themselves. They're old Earth creationists and young Earth creationists. So they, they like to claim that they're a big tent. And so the time question, even though it would, 
essentially, if the Earth's 6,000 years old, evolution's out the door. So the problem is none of the arguments they've marshaled have been convincing at all. So that's why even half of their own number, or more than half, are, are old Earth creationists. Well, had enough of that. Part yeah. five, what does a fossil record really show? You know, I was hoping through all of this that we would get some sort of new or unique or, or some type of novel spin, at least, on some of these arguments, but this is all rehashed creation, and that's why this podcast, I think, was so hard to do, Matt, because it's just talking about the same shit that we've been talking yes. about over and over and over again. Yeah. Don't be up the wall. And what's number one on the fucking what does a fossil record really show? Number one, Cambrian Explosion. Jesus no. Christ. No. It took, it took three days. It was a massive primordial sex orgy. <laughs> and, and after that, there were dinosaurs and mammoths. Right. According to these creations, the Cambrian explosion happened right in like fucking a year, and then we have everything. The, right. the Cambrian explosion happened over somewhere between 10 and 40 million years. It's the slowest explosion I've ever heard of in my life. I'm going to quote from page 28, Matt. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Most people today are not aware of the fact that the geologic column is not an actual column of rocks that exists in any one location anywhere in the world. Say what? It is a presupposition by evolutionary geologists and exists only as a scientific concept. The different strata described by it are actually spread out all over the world in different places. Even the Grand Canyon contains less than half of the geological strata described by it. Okay, I read that, like, every time. I have no idea what the fuck that means. What does he mean? The Grand Canyon contains less than half of uh, the, the geologic column. So if you go to the geologic column from top to bottom yeah. of the Grand Canyon, you only have half of the strata described by the entire geologic column. So you know that, like, the Cambrian, the the um, Paleozoic, all of these all these eras, right, are defined by the, the strata. Right. So he's saying that nowhere in the world... Is there a single mountain, for example, or structure that has all of the strata in the geologic column? And he's wrong. There's a, a list on talk.origins that has a basin in North Dakota that has all the deposits in the correct order, as well as 25 other basins around the world with the entire geologic column in each of them. Wrong, wrong, wrong. He's just... He's just uh, Xeroxing a bunch of other creationist claims. If you type like creationist geologic column, or I bet if you even type geologic column into um, Google, you'll get a bunch of young Earth shit because it's so common. All oh over the place. God, yeah. So so there is um, there's at least 26 separate basins that have every strata in the entire geologic column, and you know how these are are found, right? They're found by oil drilling companies. That's the only place you're going to be drilling all the way through all this shit. Oil drilling companies are, are conservative um, in their uh, political leanings, which <laughs> just also makes them to be a force of Christianity in this country, which that just doesn't gel. Something's wrong there. There's got to be some sort of uh, conspiracy to, by the oil drilling companies to cover up the geological comma. Right. That's going to my thesis. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um... And, and and really quick, since you just brought up, uh, because it is a big problem, every time you want to uh, Google something to learn something like this, uh, like half the first freaking crap are like uh, these creationist crap sites. Um, there is a, uh, a site called Trap It, which is uh, much more reputable in its uh, 
in its like sourcing materials, I guess you could say. Ah, it's, it's, it's more scholarly uh, search engine. So if you want to look up like the geological column or, or any scientific subject, really, uh, I highly recommend it because they're, they, they are not, it's not just the World Wide Web. They take a look at what, you know, their sources that they recommend to the site are. Excellent. So it's, it's for educators mainly, but you can use it for your own. I wanted to read this one, too, because this, this shows you the extent of his research. Furthermore, there are numerous contradictions all over the world to this largely theoretical sequence, not the least of which are numerous fossil deposits in the western United States that contain both dinosaur and human footprints together in the same strata. In parentheses, the geologic column supposedly shows that dinosaurs died out millions of years before the first human appeared on the Earth. So, he has a little footnote on this, so if you flip over to the footnote... Wait, he doesn't have any footnotes on that. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. Part 5, footnote 2. In Utah, on June 1st, 1968, William Meister found the fossils of several trilobites in the also-fossilized sandaled footprint of a man. Later, oh, Clifford shit. Burdick, another geologist, found a compressed trilobite fossil inside the fossilized bare footprint of a child. Yet trilobites, according to the geologic column, are supposed to have existed during the Paleozoic era, millions of years before man ever appeared. Can you believe that shit? Holy crap, they were together! They were together. <laughs> a sandaled footprint. I actually looked this up, which is something I'm sure uh, Hovind Hastings never did. Um, hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, William J. Meister isn't an archaeologist. He's a, he's a, it was described as a local rock hound. <laughs> oh, he's a rock hound. There. Hunting for trilobite fossils along a hillside near Antelope Springs in Utah, 1968. When he broke open a slab and discovered a curious oblong marking that he took for a human sandal print. This was quite surprising, since the rock at this locality is identified as a Middle Cambrian Wheeler formation 500 million years old. The heel print is actually a crack that runs beyond the boundary. <laughs> it's a demarcation. <laughs> Uh, and if you look, they actually have a picture of it. It's um, it's, it doesn't look nothing like a sandal. Jesus, I thought when they said sandal, there'd be like fiber imprints and shit in there. No, right. no, looks like maybe water erosion or something. So the the trilobites are real, but the print is, is just due to geologic phenomena. It's not a sandal. Yeah, geologic um, phenomena and pareidolia. It sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> the tendency to form patterns in right. uh, otherwise like seeing a hippo in clouds or something like that. Clifford Burdick, a researcher for the Creation Research Society and a member of the Creation Science Research Center, is a flood geologist who spent 40 years trying to prove that giant humans once roamed the Earth and even mingled with a dinosaur. Okay. Um, would you like to know Clifford Burdick's credentials? I do. I he's, do. Got, he's got a Ph.D., Matt, much like your hero, Kent Hovind. Ah, and much like me. Uh, has <laughs> personally awarded. Has displayed a copy of his PhD from the University of Physical Sciences in Phoenix, Arizona. Wait, um, University of Physical Sciences? Yes. Okay. Not, never heard of it, Matt? Uh, no, but I'm gonna look it up because I am. I lived in. I lived in. Work. I lived in Scottsdale for a while, um, about six years, and never heard of uh, University of Physical Sciences. But that's okay. Um, Creationist Walter Lambert's inquiries revealed the University of Physical Science to be nothing more than a registered trademark. As described in the mimeographed bulletin, the university is not an educational institution, but a society of individuals of common interest for the advancement of physical science. No, <laughs> no campus, professors, or tuition fee. <laughs> There's got to be some 
there's gotta be like some standards for calling yourself a university. If there is, you have to register the trademark. <laughs> I guess so. Is it in quotes? Is it like the the quote university? <laughs> So, um, what a surprise. Creationists padding their credentials with uh, idiotic non-existent universities. And, of course, Kirk Hastings swallowing this shit hook, line, and sinker because why it happens to agree with his preconceived ideas. Oh, my God. Do you remember reading... Do you ever read Greatest Show on Earth with uh, by Dawkins? Yes. Dawkins complained that... Um, there's a whole section in that book about one particular quote of his that's been quote-mined by creationists across the board. And it's that it is though they were just planted there without any evolutionary history. Um, and then he goes to say, he's talking about the Cambrian explosion, right, and the lack I of think precursors. That, I think that quote's even in this book, too. It is. It's on page 29. Yeah. As, as Richard Dawkins, a zoologist at Doxford University and an ardent follower of Darwin, once was forced to put it, it is though they were just planted there without any evolutionary history. No citations, so you can't look it up yep. and possibly read the entire... No citation. Know. He does the exact same thing that Richard Dawkins complains about in his book. Just puts that sentence there without any predecessor sentences or anything that follows. It looks like he's just flummoxed. And, you know, of course, if you look up Precambrian stuff, the oldest fossils within uh, the animal kingdom are uh, Vendian, and that's 650 to 544 million years ago. There's also the Edicarian fauna. Um, all right, so we move into, uh, of course, Kirk Hastings thinks that there's no uh, intermediate or transitional forms. No. He brings up Archaeopteryx and concludes that it's a true bird. <laughs> true bird. Well, it's feathers. Also, since 1861, fossils of modern birds have been found in the same rocks as Archaeopteryx fossils, refuting the argument that modern birds descended from it. So, <sighs> here's, here's Kirk Hastings' idea of evolution, right? A dinosaur shits out a bird and dies immediately. And then the birds live for a while, they shit out another um, different species, and they all die immediately. I, I just, I don't understand <laughs> how this guy can write a book on something that he's uh, researched for supposedly 30 years, 30 years and have that fundamental a misunderstanding of evolution. Of course you can find modern birds uh, in fossils that they um, descended from. What, what's to stop the Archaeopteryx from continuing to live after other birds have, uh, say, branched off, been geographically separated, and uh, continued to mutate and evolve? What, what's to stop it? If, if the Archaeopteryx, say, had maximized its fitness in its ecological niche, then it would, there would be no selective pressure on it to change. It could exist for millions of years, uh, such as other animals have, unchanged completely. So yes. it, it, it kills me. Anyway, he's, he's, he's forced to choose whether it's a lizard or a bird, right? He chooses a bird. Why? Because it's got feathers. It's got feathers. So it has to be a bird. Well, if you look it up, it has four bird features. Feathers, opposable big toe, wishbone, and an elongated pubic bone that's kind of directed backwards. It has 19 reptile features. Right. 19. <sighs> but it's a bird. Clearly a bird. He goes over Archaeoraptor, which is a hoax. My favorite of this chapter is his uh, number five, Cladism. Cladism. This was my favorite because... He just says kind of what it is, but not what his problem with it is. 
Am I correct in that assessment? Yeah, he's totally wrong on it. I mean, he's 180 degrees off of what it is. All right, this is on page 32, Claydism. This classification system is based on the idea that, though many plant and animal species have obvious biological similarities, no species can positively be identified as being the ancestor of any other species. Wrong! Jesus <laughs> Christ! This is on par with Hoven's uh, thesis, his dissertation, when he said that, you know, Karl Marx thought that uh, class struggle was a good idea. <laughs> Completely wrong. Let, let's just hop over to Wikipedia and look up cladistics. Cladistics. Clados. <laughs> the Greek is clados for branch. Cladistics is a method of classifying species of organisms into groups called clades, which consist of an ancestor organism and all its descendants and nothing else. You ever see those little branch diagrams where something descended from something else and you got all these branches? That's a clade. It's like a cladogram. Like the tree of life diagram. It's a diagram precisely of ancestors to descendant relationships. <laughs> Fuck, Kirk. But wait a uh, second. His definition of cladism opposes Darwinism. Well, yeah, he thinks that cladism... Uh, is just a classification system based on similarities. And he also thinks it was first used by Carolus Linnaeus uh, from 1707 to 1778, right? The guy who gave us our Linnaean system, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species, right? Right. He thinks that it was first used by Linnaeus. It was first used in the fucking 1950s. <laughs> God. At this point, I want I want to reach through the book and just strangle this asshole. Not I possible. I That's suppose. Possible. I suppose. <laughs> I suppose being off by a mere two hundred years is about the best we can hope for any creationist. That's the most accurate he's been in the whole book. I guess. <laughs> Plus or minus two hundred years. Margin of error of just two hundred years. Oh my God! What's next? The human evolutionary tree. He doesn't like. He loves nope. Philip E. Johnson. Did you notice that? He quotes Philip E. Johnson more than pretty much anyone else. He's um, used to be one of the bigwigs of the intelligent design movement. He wrote Darwin on Trial, a couple of other books. He's an attorney, basically, who who thinks that his attorney knowledge is, is better than all these biologists' knowledge. Because he puts Darwin on trial, and uh, Darwin... I'm going to spoil the ending of the book. Darwin ended up losing. He's convicted. Oh, spoiler alert! <laughs> on page 35 he goes he says it goes without saying that since the bonomo is still living it cannot italicize cannot be an ancient ancestor of man it goes without saying Matt it goes, then why did he have to say it <laughs> again if the bonobo had uh, shit out human beings it would have instantly died <laughs> immediately well that goes without saying that <laughs> goes without saying he brings up the unbelievable uh, Neanderthals, you think they're, they're just human beings with rickets? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good lord. Just, He's killing me. <laughs> He's killing me. They just had a vitamin deficiency causing rickets. Uh, catastrophic so extinctions is number seven. It, it's, it's, uh, it's based on this weird idea that he has that, that this uniformitarianism, that's the basis of geology, that things happen, you know, the slow, gradual rate, that that, that somehow precludes catastrophes. Like scientists 
believe that everything just happened slow and gradually and there never was a single catastrophe ever, apparently, is, is Kirk's idea. Well, he nails it in the coffin with his last sentence of that chapter, of that part, I'm sorry. I uh, didn't want to confuse kinds with species there. Um, <laughs> we're still called, quote, established fact of science, Darwinian evolution seems to have an awful lot of problems and very little evidence going for it. Done! Yes, yes. well, he's <laughs> he not done. done. His Wait, next chapter what? is entitled 16 Additional Problems with Darwinian <laughs> Evolution. But I thought we were done. Not done. It seemed like the more research I did on Darwinism, the more problems I kept coming up with that could not be satisfactorily answered. Now, if you do your entire research reading Philip E. Johnson, Michael Behe, and the ICR Creationist website, then you are correct. You'll keep coming up with problems that you cannot satisfactorily answer because you're too fucking dumb to type this in Google. Well, I think that's a good place to stop for today. What do you think? You want to stop? On 16 additional <laughs> problems with evolution? I, can't, I don't want to go on. No. <laughs> um, you, can't, you can't continue? I can't go on. <laughs> it makes me die a little bit more inside every time I go over it. <laughs> All right. You know what? The, this chapter will probably take up the bulk of the next podcast then that we do. That's, that's why I, what I was thinking. I'm like, because I think we've this, got an hour. This is a butte. These 16 oh, yeah. problems. They're excellent problems. Yeah. I can't answer them. Can you? Um, God, I, am I supposed to answer them? I was... Uh, I like the peppered moth. I can answer that. It's delicious. But the peppered <laughs> garlic moth, way better. They're unanswerable, Matt. <laughs> All right. We All will, right, Chuck. We'll, Before we'll, you... raise, we'll raise the white flag on that one and call it a day. Um, I was hoping to get through the entire scientific portion, but there's just too oh, much okay. shit. There's yeah, just too there's, much shit in there. Shit. And then we always end up, like, talking about it. <laughs> so, basically. Right. right, babbling on. Do you want to do some of those questions before you wrap it up? Yes. Okay. Hit me with your, what questions are these? Set this up. All right, Chuck. Uh, this is off of the uh, Religiosophy fan page and on Facebook. Some people have questions for you. I can't get onto that fan page anymore because I'm not a member of Facebook. That's right. You disdain the Facebook, I believe. I do. What, what questions? What right, questions so. do my do my adoring fans? You know, I can't uh, leave my house anymore without paparazzi following me everywhere. <laughs> well, Mike Thompson wants to know: Is his doctorate still valid? Yes. Just because the uh, institution crashed and burned to the ground does not mean that any of the previously awarded doctorates are invalid. I, I, I would say that's valid. I mean, if Hoven can get his doctorate from a double-wide trailer up in the Colorado mountains... Let me just, <laughs> let me just say this. Your irreligi irreligiosophy doctorate is as valid today as it ever was. <laughs> uh, Philip Boyson wants to know, uh, why, Chuck? Why? My answer to that is, why not? I'm not. Anthony Luigi Tortorici wants to know your favorite sandwich filling. Nutella. Oh, God, seriously? No, I've never tasted Nutella. <laughs> Apparently just, it's very popular, though. It's like peanut butter made out of hazelnuts. Oh, my God, I have to try it. You do. Uh, Leela Moses, I think you're familiar with her, too. Um, Leela, Leela, Leela. Oh, yeah, we mentioned her uh, name on one of the prayer, prior yes. podcasts. 
It's also my favorite name combined of any fictional Futurama character and a biblical character matched together. <laughs> Lila Moses. Have any of your patients ever heard the show? Uh, I Not that I know of. No one has uh, ever asked me about it in my clinic. No so, one's far, ever so far, so good. I'm safe. None of the people you work with? Any of them know about your... Uh, uh, yeah, a lot of the um, medical assistants and, and fellow docs and nurses know about it, sure. They cool with it? They're not... How, how many of them are pretty Mormon? Because, you know, where we live. Um, none of the avid Mormons are... Um, Listeners, <laughs> they've tried it once or twice, um, right. but they, yeah, they don't like it. Yeah, some of them listen listened to it when it was going on uh, every week and would quiz me about it when it wouldn't come on, and others listened to it once and and never talked to me about it. <laughs> never spoke to me again. Have you seen Sister Wives? I have not. Is that that a TV show? Yeah, I I, I haven't seen either. I mean, you had your big love on uh, what was it HBO? I think Sister Wives uh, is a reality show and um, not a fictional series like Big Love is. I think the guy on Sister Wives, didn't they nail him and weren't they prosecuting him for polygamy? See, I, I can't watch any of this crap. Uh, that's all for now. Stay tuned next episode when Chuck answers more questions. Excellent. <laughs> Adios. Who knows when the next episode will come out. Or whether this one was actually recorded. And survived <laughs> Ha 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 